You can be opening your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. We are still in chapter 1. This will be the last week in chapter 1. And we're going to begin in verse 18. So if you'll turn there with me, uh, your copy of God's Word, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18. And we're going to go to the end of the chapter all the way uh, down to uh, 25. And I, I want to read this to you before uh, we, we talk about it at all. And, and listen to these words. They're, we're going to pull out a few words to, <clears throat> to emphasize to us. It says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower fails, falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached for you. Well, Peter in this passage is going to uh, give us a, a lot. Peter is a, uh, I, I told you last week, Peter, uh, this whole book is kind of structured Wash, rinse, repeat. And you do it again and again. He talks about what it means to be a Christian. How that came about. How we were able to call ourselves Christians. And then what should we do about that? And he's going to say that over and over and over. He wants to drive home both the spiritual and the practical side of what God has done in our life. I don't know how many of you have gone or are going to go see the movie, uh, The Jesus Revolution or Jesus Revolution, uh, based on a true story, based on a book written by one of the uh, people portrayed in the movie. I recommend it to you. It's a historical uh, uh, account of, of some things that, that happened. But as, as I've watched that movie and I've been, I, I've been contemplating uh, recently, what does it mean to be a Christian? Because we're seeing young people, they call it deconstructing their faith. They grew up in church. These, these people are now, some of them in their 30s or 20s or even uh, late teenagers. And they've been in church all their life. And then they get to a certain age and they start saying, yeah, but is that real? Now, I think if you've never questioned your faith, it might not... Or, or, or what is our faith that, that you might, it might not be worth having to you. I think uh, we ought to question a lot of things. We ought to look at a lot of things. Um, but we know that the Bible is the Word of God. We know it's real. There are reasons why we know that. And, and so we can come back to this and find that. But I just began to think about my own experience with the Lord. We went to see the movie last week. And, and I've been thinking about all of that. And I begin to wonder, has, has my Christianity become like just an insurance policy? Like, like when I was a kid, I just, you know, wanted Jesus because I didn't want to go to hell. So I want to make that transaction. Okay, whew, that's out of the way. And I'll just kind of live my life and it doesn't matter anymore. I just don't want to go to hell. And that's not a bad motivation to come to Christ. But, uh, but that's not all there is. Or, or have I made Jesus like a, a, some sort of divine Santa Claus? You know, like write him a letter. Lord, us, you know, these, these things we want. 
And I, and I think some people struggle because they say, man, I was following the Lord and all this bad stuff happened. Well, if you read this book, bad stuff happened to everybody in here. Okay? It, it, there's no guarantee anywhere in Scripture bad stuff's not going to happen. A lot of them died. I mean, there's a whole passage in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Oh, these guys, they had all these victories, but those guys had problems. But then there's some guys never got the victories and they had a bunch of problems. But they all kept believing in the Lord. And it's an encouragement. And I, I wonder, do I, I think of Jesus like a, like a genie. You know, just make a wish and it's supposed to happen. And I think sometimes we've given that impression in, in church, because we lost the note of that my heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. How, how can I even know it? That, that, that I was a sinner lost and bound for hell, and I needed someone to rescue me. I've never been a good swimmer. And I promise if I get in water over my head, I'm going to feel a little nervous. And if you touch me while I'm in the water, you're going to get hurt, okay? Because uh, it scares me a little bit, okay? And, 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 and so... Have we ever realized that my life, that I was drowning in sin and there was nobody to rescue me and I needed Jesus to come and do that for me? And how much is that worth? How much is that worth to you? I guess the, the last question is, I'm asking is, do I worship Jesus as the supreme God and creator of all things and the sovereign ruler of his creation? Well, Peter wants to tell you a little bit about that. Here's what I want to take you, you to take home with you today. Am I living a life that is worth the price Christ paid? I mean, if I were drowning and, and you saved me, I'm going to, the rest of my life, I'm going to be so grateful that you rescued me from drowning or you rescued me from danger, whatever that danger might be. I mean, we all would understand that. But do you ever think about what God did to save you? Peter outlines it for us here. We, we've already read it. And so I, I want us to look at this. First of all, there was a precious cost. A very precious cost. Because we had to be bought out of our debt. You see, God back in the beginning, in Genesis, he set up what it cost to sin. I know there have been religious organizations in the past and you could buy your forgiveness from sin. You could, you could, you know, you say these certain things and you're forgiven or you pay some money to the, to the church. I, I, I remember hearing a preacher talk about the rich young ruler came to Jesus and asked him, what do I have to do to, to, to enter heaven? And Jesus gave him a list of stuff he already did and uh, the, the good stuff. And the, and the guy said, well, I've already done kept all those commandments what else is there and Jesus looked at him and said sell everything you've got give it to the poor and come follow me and the Bible says he turned away sorrowful because he had many riches Jesus didn't say that to everybody but he said it to that guy and I heard a Baptist preacher say this proves Jesus wasn't a Baptist preacher because he's a Baptist preacher he said well wait a minute let, let just give a tithe to the church and then we'll talk about the rest later right we, we, we get that kind of attitude about it sometimes and Instead of letting people feel the weight of what God requires, we let them, we, we want to bring them back in. We don't want to hurt them. And I owed God in the very beginning, he said, the soul that sins, it will die. And God does not break his word. If he said that's what's going to happen, that's what's going to happen. And Adam, as the representative head of the whole human race, brought a price down on our heads of death. 
And only death could pay for it. And here in this passage, the Bible says that that we were bought out of that debt, knowing that you were ransomed. That's what the word ransomed means. From our futile ways inherited from our forefathers. Who are the forefathers Peter's talking about? He's talking about the Jewish nation and the religion that they had turned God's revelation into a religion, just as we do today sometimes. It's not about a religion. It's about a relationship. And he says, it was futile those ways that we inherited. And that we were purchased or ransomed. Not with a perishable thing like silver or gold. I, I don't know. Maybe you're not an investor. But even if you, you don't invest in, a, in some sort of money market or your retirement. You hear, if you listen to radio or TV all the time. You got to have gold. I mean, gold is your insurance against inflation. Really, the worth of gold is based on what the dollars. I mean, it's, it's, but boy, you got to get some gold or silver. And here, Peter says, not with something perishable like silver or gold. Peter's like, that ain't going to help you, right? You weren't purchased with just old cheap silver and gold there in verse 18, but with the precious blood of Christ You see, we weren't bought out of our slavery by money. We were purchased at the cost of Jesus becoming a human, being a human, overcoming sin as a human, and dying as a human. Dying as a man on a cross, and his blood was shed. And there it says, as a lamb without spot or blemish. Uh, That's so important. As as we're reading through the Bible, uh, my wife and I together, she was asking me the other day because we were in this section of the Old Testament where it says, well, if this thing has this problem, they can't come into the temple. If they got that, they can't come into it. There were so many restrictions about people that weren't perfect being able to come to the temple. She said, why would he do that? I had to think about that for a minute. And I gave a quick answer. I don't know if it was right. But it wasn't meant that they couldn't come into heaven. It was meant to show that God is so perfect and holy that sinful men cannot come into his presence. But Jesus was a lamb without spot or blemish. And he took all of our spots and blemishes on him to die for us. He was trying to create a hunger in us to get to know God. And God didn't just sit on his throne and say, sure, I'll introduce myself. He took on flesh and lived with us. And Peter says that was a precious price to win us, to buy us. Out of the debt we owed to God. Because we owed a debt we couldn't pay. But Jesus paid a debt he didn't know. So that we could know God. So that we could call him father. And that we could be saved. That is the precious cost of our salvation. And how many times. If you're like me. How many of you have been saved 60 years or longer? Would you raise your hand for me? Just wave at me. My hand's not up for that. I'm 63. 50 years plus. I'm 55 years this year. 50 years plus, 40 years plus, 30 years plus, 20 years, 10, 5. How many, anybody here saved less than a year? Less than a year. Would you just raise your hand and leave it up for a second? I want to see. Wow, church. What ought we be doing about that? We ought to have more people in here that haven't been saved that long than people that have been. Don't you think? 
Jesus was a lamb without spot or blemish, but he took our spots and blemishes on him. And so we ought to count that as precious because this was a divine appointment. This blows, the first time I realized this, it blew my mind and it still blows my mind. Verse 20 and 21. Look there in chapter 1. It says, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. What does that mean? Let me just, let me put it in words we use. Before God even decided to create the universe. If you want to believe in a big bang, go ahead. But I just have one question. Where did the matter that blew up come from? Once you figure that out, you'll be introduced to God. Because there had to be something for something to be here, right? And only God is eternal. Before he made the stuff, even if you believe the Big Bang that blew up, he knew before he created that, that he would come and die for us. That's what that verse is telling us. And that I cannot comprehend. That I cannot understand with my human mind. That God would make something that he knew was going to rebel against him. So he could come himself and die for them. That they could know him. But if he had done it any other way, we'd just be robots. It wouldn't be love. It would be what you were made to do. He made us with the capacity to sin. So that we would appreciate Our salvation that that we would never brag in his presence. There was a time appointed before there was time. That God said I will come and die in their place. And that verse it goes on to say that but he was made manifest. And that's a great Bible word and we use it in church all the time. And I I do hear it more in, in, in society today outside the church. But the word manifest is a big word that means make it known or make it obvious or make it seen. Jesus was this salvation that God was offering by coming and dying for us was made known to us, became obvious to us in the last times, in the last days for the sake of you, for your sake. We understand the Bible. We have the Old Testament, the New Testament. The Old Testament leads us up to about 400 years before Jesus came. And then there's 400 years where God didn't say anything to increase the anticipation. And then a prophet appeared. His name was John the Baptist. And he came preaching that the Messiah was on the way. Six months later, Jesus shows up and he points at him and says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so we understand this this break in, in time, Jesus was coming and he was coming to save us. And we get to live on this side of that. Peter is telling that audience that it's just a few years past Jesus' death. Do you get it? The people before Jesus didn't understand this as fully as we do now. That God put on flesh and lived with us. It's in the Old Testament. But they didn't quite see it. And now Peter and the other apostles are preaching it out of the Old Testament. Explaining what it all means. And now this has been made known to you. Sometimes people Wonder about characters in the Old Testament. Do you think they're in heaven or not? Well, number one, I don't know anybody except Abraham and Elijah and Moses. Because the Bible is pretty clear about them going. And maybe Enoch. But I know this. They were saved like we are in faith that God would pay for their sin. But now we know how he did it. 
And Peter is saying, you ought to be grateful you get to be on this side of things. Because not only do you know what he did, but he comes to live in you when he does it. And he becomes very real to us. These are the last times. Have you ever asked your question, why did Jesus, why did God wait all those years to come 2,000 years ago? And I like to think that he did it that way because he wanted us to understand how big a deal it was. It's not that people couldn't be saved before Jesus came. Obviously they were, but it was still the blood of Christ that paid for their sin. Jesus just waited to make that sacrifice. He could have done it right after Eden. He could have done it right after the flood. Because he knew before he created the world he was going to do it. But he set that time ahead of time. So that our hope and faith would be in God. To make us understand just how lost we are without him. That we are, we are just sinners. And like me, you're not a very good swimmer and you're in over your head. And you're going to die if somebody doesn't get you out of there. And God created that that anticipation by creating the divine appointment of when Jesus would come so that our faith and our hope would be in him and not in ourselves. Man, what a passage there in those two verses. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made known in the last days that manifest to us for your sake, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope is in God. Think about that. He did that so that we would not think we had done anything. That we can become believers in him. And our faith, which means more than just intellectual assent, but it means a physical trust, a physical, I put my weight on God. Our faith and our hope. I know that He's coming back. I know that I'm going to him. I have a confident hope. I have a real faith in God who loved me and made himself known to me through Christ. Peter's saying, you you better remember this. You better get this nailed down. Because if you forget about this, you'll go astray. Because there's a positive test to whether you really are following Jesus or not. It's in verses 22 through 25. In verse 22, he says, Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Our souls are purified as we obey the faith. As we're obedient to what Jesus revealed, repent of our sin, come to know him, ask him to take over our life, let him be. He is the Lord, by the way. You're not going to make Jesus Lord. He is the Lord. But you'll either say, yes, I I acknowledge you're the Lord. You you agree with him. You are the boss, and I I just want to be here with you. And when you do that, he says, come to me, and I'll bring you in. I won't throw anybody out that comes to me. And if you want to know him, you can come and tell him that you want to know him, and he'll make himself very real to you. But we are purified by our obedience to that, by not only coming to know him, but then by living that out. Because what does he say happens in verse 22? That when that happens in our life, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, 
You get a sincere brotherly love. And he says, so love one another earnestly from a pure heart. I looked up every instance that word love appears in those verses. It's always the same word. It's the word for a God kind of love. A love that does not require anything to love. It just loves because it wants to love. It loves without condition. It loves without reservation. It gives itself completely. He says we ought to have a love for each other that way. Do we see that? Do we see that in the church today? I think a lot of people who have given up on Christianity haven't given up on Christ. They've just given up on people who claim to be Christians who aren't. Churches who claim to follow Christ but don't. You see, Jesus said this out of his own mouth in John 13, 34, and 35. Peter was there. He heard him say it. A new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I loved you. You are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. The the Bible talks about fellowship. And fellowship is when we get together. Now, we use that word wrongly all the time. I use it wrongly. All of us use it wrongly. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just admitting our error. I can tell you the Greek word for fellowship but it doesn't matter to you. It's just, it's just syllables and noise, right? But I do want to tell you what it means. It means a partnership. It doesn't mean we get together and eat, eat a meal. It doesn't mean we get together and watch a movie. It doesn't mean we get together and hang out. It means that we have a partnership in life with one another. It is a social discourse. It is that we act as a body together. That, that we, we are involved in each other's life. Because we are all in the same body. We are all part of the same thing. And if we can't do that. If we don't love each other. If we don't have love for one another. We're not going to put up with one another. So the result. Of being born again. From an imperishable seed. It says in these verses. Verse 23. You're born again. Not of a perishable seed. The human seed. It's going to die. This body's going to die. My, I, I'm, I'm getting older. I, stuff ain't working anymore. We all get that. If, you, if you're old enough, you get it. it start, I, I used to work with a man quite a few years older than me. And when things started hurting and places started aching and I would say something about that. He'd say, I don't have any good news for you. <laughs> it's just going to get worse. Till one day you lay down and die, right? We weren't, we're not saved by perishable seed, but by the imperishable seed of God himself. That God has brought a new life into us. He's given us a new uh, existence. And through a living, the living and abiding word of God. Is that the written word? Yeah, but it's Jesus, the living word, right? He's also the living word. This is a living Bible, but it doesn't change. This is, this tells us about the living word of God, Jesus. So that we have a sure end. That's the fourth thing we want to see in this passage. In verse twenty. 2 and 23. It's very poetic. It's out of the Old Testament. All flesh is like grass and its glory, all its glory like the flower of grass, but the grass withers, the flower fails. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the word, the good news that we preach to you. Peter wants you to understand that, that 
It costs God to put on a human body to come and live a perfect life, to die on a cross for my sin and yours. That's what it costs for us to be saved. And that salvation is imperishable, but it results in this life with an obedience so that we love one another, that we have a fellowship together with one another. The word fellowship doesn't appear in this passage. But when he talks about loving one another, that's what it looks like. That's how it works. That we are involved in each other and with each other to help each other to follow Christ. You see, because everything you see is going to perish. There is no eternal. You can buy all that gold to hedge against inflation or whatever you want to do. But it's going to go away. It's going to be destroyed The word of the Lord endures forever. That's what's going to last. This word that was written is going to last forever. The Bible says in Psalms, God said, I've exalted my word above my name. I want you to catch that. That that Jesus said not one jot or tittle. We, We would say apostrophe or period is going to pass from God's word. That it is established in heaven forever. And that written word tells us about the living word. And that's the good news preached to you. That is what you received. You see there's only three eternal things. God, God's word, and the souls of men. And every man is going to either heaven or hell. When you die, your soul's going one place or the other. And that's the only options. And if you know Christ and you're following Christ, then you get to go to heaven. If you've rejected Christ, you've never told him, yes, I, I want to follow you. I want to be your servant, your slave. Your, I want you to be my master because you are the master and Lord. Jesus said that in John. He said, I am your master and Lord. You said that, but that's true. And he said, now if I, your master and Lord, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. In other words, you ought to live together. You ought to love each other in Christ. So what can we do with all this? Well, first of all, redemption is free, but it ain't cheap. It cost God everything. He had to come and die for us. And God has an appointment for you. God has a personal appointment for you as well. Not only did Jesus have an appointment to come and die for us, but there's a a point where God is going to reveal himself to you. And if you say no to him, he may just leave you alone and say, fine, live it, live it on your own. Do your best. Good luck. See you later. You better hope that doesn't happen. You ought to turn to him if he's calling you. And so my question is, is your life marked by obedience or rebellion? Because that's, there's no sometimey Christian. There's no in-between. I can't ride two horses at once. Right? So are you marked by obedience? Or rebellion. It's the telling test. Do we love one another? Do we live in a community that wants the world to hear the gospel? Are we just hanging out and having fun?